Good to be together this morning. We're in a series of lessons uh, called Storyteller. We've been looking at Jesus and the stories and the parables. Uh, what's interesting to me is that Jesus was one who was the master storyteller. I love telling stories. My brother Danny loves telling stories. And if you're ever with us at a table and you're unfortunate to be with us in that sense, uh, as I take a breath, he will start a story. And as he takes a breath, I will start a story. You'll get in a story crossfire. We love telling stories. We love hearing stories. Um, and Jesus was one who was packed with them. In fact, the Bible says, if you look up here on your screen, it says something about Jesus and storytelling. He says Jesus used stories when he spoke to the people. In fact, he did not tell them anything without using stories. So Jesus loved to do that. And he would use uh, any occasion, at any time, he might start telling a particular story that had a point. Now today I want to talk about the rich fool. I want to talk about being rich toward God. Originally, the title of this lesson I had was called Filthy Rich, but I wasn't sure if that was just being too clever. I just thought, well, you know, maybe we just want to really look at what we, you know, the, the, the part of this passage that really leaps out here in Luke 12, and that is this phrase, rich toward God. It's a story about a rich man who has been blessed with more, and but he fails uh, to use... Uh, and manage God's blessings properly. Now, if you know anything about Luke 12, and if you've got a Bible, you'd like to turn there, we're going to read some of this together. I've got it up on the screen here in a second. But the, in the setting, Jesus, Jesus has just talked about a lot of heavenly things, a lot of, a lot of things dealing with the, the Lord and with God and, and values. And all of a sudden, somebody just out of the blue, out of the crowd, says, so, just interrupts the whole thing. And we see Jesus is bothered about it. And so he tells a story because he is upset and he's bothered by what this guy is saying. Let's read it here. We're going to start in verse 13. And if you'd like to read it up on the screen, you can. I'm using the NIV. And um, we're going to read just a few verses here. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It's probably a younger brother because in Jewish tradition, the older brother got more inheritance. Some two-thirds sometimes over the younger brother. And so he's wanting more. And so he's saying, hey, fix this problem I've got, you know. Make my brother divide up this inheritance. And Jesus replied, man, um, another word would be buddy. Uh, If you're from the West Coast, dude, you know. He just says, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? He's not happy, is he? Like, man, I didn't come here to deal with this stuff. Jesus is not interested in uh, solving your financial difficulties, okay? Or your little challenges, your little things you're worried about. In fact, he resents anybody using him to get financially ahead. Take that as a hint uh, for those preachers on TV that seem to talk about money. And it always blesses them, it seems like, and no one else. And then he says this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I want you to notice that phrase, all kinds of greed. Jesus warns us. He warns his disciples. He warns the crowd, watch out. And he says, you need to post a guard at your heart. There's all kinds of greed. There's not just one kind of greed. There's all kinds of shades of greed in our lives. And he says, watch out for that. And then he says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. 
Then he told them this parable. And you can imagine, Jesus' blood pressure is up. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. I need to tell a story over this. And he says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? Yeah, I, I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get? What a question here. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words, he's saying it's going to go to the yard sale. It's, it's going to be sold for a dime. That thing you worried about, that thing you're proud of, that thing you just, you know, you work so hard to get and, and take care of, it's going to get sold for a dime at a yard sale, dude. He goes, then who will get what you prepared for yourself? And look at this. This, is the, this part of the verse is so interesting to me. This is how it will be. What an interesting... He's very clear here. This is how it will be. What will be? Life will be, Tim. This is how it will be. With whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is how it will be. For those who whoever stores up things for themselves but doesn't store up things for God, is what he's trying to say. And he says, be careful. Be on your guard. You know, I'm not so sure anymore that greed is on our radar as a sin. It's not up there with adultery. Am I right? We just don't think of greed in the same category as theft. We don't think of greed in the same category as drunkenness. And yet Jesus says, he warns everybody, be on your guard of all kinds of greed. There's more than one kind. I think maybe it's because it's so hard to define. You see what you mean, Tim? Well, we live in this culture of this consumer-driven culture. And so it's hard for us sometimes to identify what greed is. And therefore, we kind of turn away from it when we think we see it and we don't judge much because of it and if we do we, 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 we make mistakes at times we'll, we'll look at somebody who's ambitious and say they're greedy and all they're being is ambitious not selfish ambition just being an ambitious hard working individual somebody gets a promotion gets a little more money oh they're being greedy for money they buy something oh look at this they're greedy they, they experience a little prosperity Success, And we just, it's hard to identify, isn't it? I find it extremely hard to identify. What is greed? When is it greedy? When is it not? Greed has nothing to do with amount. It has everything to do with attitude. It has nothing to do with amounts, but approaches. How we approach what God has given you, what God has given me. I've, uh, this is how. This is one definition of greed. I think I've got it up on the screen. Greed is an unquenchable desire for more and more of something we think we need to be satisfied. I like Mark Twain's version or kind of take on this. He says civilization is a culture that has limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessaries. <laughs> what are you saying, Mark? Well, today he'd say, well. 
You ever seen that person that says, I gotta have that app. I can't live life without that app. I have to have a cell phone. I have to have an iPad. I remember when my kids were younger, Dad, we need a cell phone. Why? Well, all of our friends have one. And we'd like to have one. And I go, okay, well, I don't know. Well, think about it, Dad. What if we get, some, something happens, we're in an emergency. We wouldn't be able to call you. I said, yeah, you would. You just borrow the cell phone from your friend. <laughs> I remember toys. A little girl, I don't remember which girl it was around here. She was a little two or three or four, and she had a plastic cell phone. They're already, it was not even real, but it's enough to, you know, get her started. We have taken luxuries and have somehow nudged them over into necessities. We've all, guys, we've all been bit, we're all bit by this American virus. All of us, myself, all of us. We have this consumer. We hear people talk like, I'm not getting fed at a church. I'm not getting much out of church. It's even in our churches, this consumer-driven, I want more No one's talking about giving more, or serving more, or living more like Christ. I don't know how much the virus you have this morning. I know I've got a good dose of it. And it messes with our priorities, messes with our values. And it's funny that Jesus, and I don't mean ha-ha funny, it's interesting, I guess, that Jesus is making it clear, you've got to be careful, Tim, there's all kinds of greed out there. Why, why does he say that? You know, because it's a very dangerous sin. And I don't know if we see it as, a, as that much of a sin, that much of a big deal. But let me, let me impress upon you a thought. I don't know of anything that's more powerful than greed. Because it is unlike adultery or theft. That's dramatic. It gets our attention. It gets the headlines. You know, back home, I understand that uh, in a bank in a small town of less than 2,000 people, a woman who worked there for several years embezzled $300,000. You don't think that grabs headlines? That grabs everybody's attention. But greed is a little sneakier, and it's under the radar. And it slowly steals our time, our energy, and our focus away from the kingdom of God. It has that lulling, sleepy, almost tranquilizing effect on us. I know it it happens because I watch some of us sometimes talk about how I've got to be at work, but church is optional. I've got a lot to prepare for at work, and Bible study goes out the door. And it's this desire for more and more and more. You know, J.D. Rockefeller, who was the Bill Gates of the late 1800s, They asked him one time, how much money do you need to make? And he goes, oh, a little more. A little more. Yet we find out, don't judge him too much now, too quickly. We find out J.D. Rockefeller gave over $530 million to charities and parks and hospitals. $530 million in the late 1800s, guys, is a lot of money. Not everybody, not everybody that has something is greedy. Think about the people in the Bible, the rich people in the Bible. Can you think of a few? Job, that guy, like Donald Trump, lost everything and got it back. 
You know, he lost everything and then got it back. Very rich man. Abraham had next to nothing. And, and by the way, talk about a dynasty, a family, a, the J.D. Rockefeller of the Old Testament is what I call him. Because he, not only did he become rich and become wealthy, God blessed him with more because of his faithfulness. He, his son, Isaac, would have the same blessing. And his son, Jacob, and his son, Joseph. There's lots of people in the Bible that have more. God is blessed with more. And yet the Bible warns us. It's funny. When you look at the Bible about possessions and money and things, you get the impression that in some ways money can be helpful, but in some ways it can be harmful. Let me give you an example here in 1 Timothy 6 up on the screen. Look at this. Those who want to become rich, in other words, those that want more and more, and then we're talking about it in a healthy way here. Nothing wrong with bettering yourself, folks. But when you forget the, forget the Lord, you're in trouble here. That's greed. Those who want to become rich become, bring temptation to themselves. They are caught in a trap. They begin to want many foolish things that will hurt them, things that ruin and destroy people. The love of money, not money, the love of money causes all kinds of evil. Some people have left their true faith because they want to get more and more money. I heard an old preacher one time say, The Lord was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and today it's done for the minimum wage. They have caused themselves, it says, much sorrow. Money can be a blessing, but it can also be something bad for us. And that's why Jesus is saying, he hears this guy say, he, after he's talked about all this spiritual stuff, he brings up money, and it's not about, what can I do, Lord, with what I've got, but I want more. And Jesus is like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Have you not been listening to me? And he just goes, man, I didn't, I'm not here for that purpose. And uh, your life isn't about that. Let me tell you a story. And so he is just... <laughs> Twisted, okay, and tells this story about the rich fool. I look at Psalms 23, verse 5. You know, Psalms 23, we always read this at, at funerals. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me, in the, you know, he maketh me lie down in green pastures, he restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. You know, and we read this to give comfort to people because somebody died. But notice, he's, look at what David says in verse 5. My cup overflows with blessing. He's saying, Lord, the cup I hold. Where this year we're at church camp, primary week we're doing, pick up the cup. Olivia Tankersley has come up with this idea, pick up the cup, Tim. And Jesus picked up the cup, and so we're going to spend the whole week talking about cups. We have, I've found so many passages to talk about cups, and this is one of the lessons we're going to be looking at. That David says, Lord, I have, it's like I have this cup in my hand, and it's, I got, you bless me with more than I can handle. And David didn't say, let me go get a bigger cup. Follow me? He says, I just noticed this. Wow, you give me more than I expected. It overflows. I wonder what I'm to do with all that. You know, God blesses you with more. Have you thought about that? 
What do you do with the surplus? What do you do with all the more? When, you, when God blesses you more, and you could say, My cup, it's more than I can hold. It's more than I can handle. Why does God bless us with more? I want to talk about that before we get into the passage. Uh, let me give you four reasons why I believe God blesses us with more. Besides that He rewards you and I for our faithfulness, He will bless you more when you do that. The, the, the first thing I notice is that God blesses me with more to enjoy life. He wants me to enjoy life, and so He'll bless you and I with more so we can. Write these two passages down. They didn't make the cut for this morning. Uh, I didn't have enough time. I didn't have space. Psalms 37, and just read the whole psalm, and see how often you see blessing and enjoyment connected to each other. And while you're at it, look at Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19. And ask yourself, why does God bless us with more? Are we to enjoy it? You know, sometimes we're, you know, we have one side. There's one side of, the, of, of a group of people that just feel like, you know, anybody that has a lot, well, they're greedy. Then there's the other side, and there's those that have, they have a little bit more, but they feel guilty, like they're not supposed to enjoy it. And God blesses you with more so you can enjoy it. Look what it says here in Proverbs. The earnings of the godly enhance their lives. You can't tell me... You can't tell me that some of the stuff you and I buy doesn't make life better. I am so glad I live in an age where I don't have to ride a horse or walk. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of nice to be able to get in a car. You know, I have to admit that's kind of nice. It's nice to have 55-inch flat screen. It, it improves the hockey game. I have to admit I enjoy that. I, I do enjoy, uh, and, and God blesses us, guys. He blesses the godly with more, so you can enjoy yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's another one. God blesses me with more to mature me. Did you know that God gives you and I money and possessions for a test? It's to test our faith. Look at the Bible says here. This is Jesus in Luke 16. And uh, he says... So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? What's he saying? Your faith, my faith is, are tested. In fact, I have found we're tested more, if not as much, by blessings than we are by our burdens. See, when I've got nothing, when I'm going through a tough time, you know, I don't have any trouble praying. I don't have any trouble reading my Bible. And man, I'm at church. I'm going, I, I'm going to do good because it's bad right now and it drives me to the Lord. But what happens when things start to ease up a little bit and things get better? You know, that's the true test of your faith. When God blesses you with more, will you, will you be the kind of person that uses it for His desires over your own? Number three, God blesses me with more to help others. He blesses me with more to help others. And God will generously, it says here in 2 Corinthians 9, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Why does God bless me with a little bit more to help other people? To help, to help the poor. He blesses me with more to help the poor to help the poor 
It's not about lights and staff salaries and church buildings. Hello? Hello? And it's not just the money I put in the plate. You know, it's so easy to put money, throw money at it, throw money in the plate, and now I've covered, I'm covered. And there are people that need help from us that we live next to, in our city, in our workplace. God blesses you and I with more to help others. Number four, God blesses me with more to advance His work. To advance His work. There are several examples. I think there's a passage where Paul talks about he made tents, self-employed. He paid for him, set his own way and the way of those who were with him. What were they doing? They were spreading the gospel. They, they used the money they received to help other people find Christ. Joseph here in Acts 4, uh, he's, a, he's a guy, a Levite from Cyprus, Barnabas in other words, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You see, blessings from God are, are not only a test in the kingdom of God, they're a great tool in the kingdom of God. And God uses our resources. You ever thought about you're a Christian because somebody else had best invested? Somebody else sacrificed? It wasn't the buildings they were so focused on, but people. Getting the right people in the right places. Gosh, guys, I sit back, I think about all the investment made from people that I don't even know. So there was a, a good church in my area that had the courage and the faith to reach out to me and help me. And yet, though this rich man, I noticed something here. Though this rich man is quite successful, he's very shrewd, very smart, he works hard, works smart, and he plans ahead, Jesus calls him a rich fool. Wow, Jesus, why would you call him that? Did he cheat anybody? We don't have any indication that he cheated anybody to get what he got. It just happened to be that his field, his, he had, had an abundant harvest. It was a good year. And yet he calls him a fool. Why? Why is this man a fool? Let me give you three reasons I notice that Jesus uh, shares in this passage. The first reason the rich man's a fool is because he disregards God in his financial plans. He has no regard for God. He isn't thinking very spiritual with his stuff. In verses 17 and 18, He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. There's a big flag right there. They weren't his crops. The Lord made the earth. The Lord sent the rain. The Lord grew the, grew the plants. And he's calling them his crops. Notice the lack of, of reference to God in this whole passage. I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I will store my surplus grain. Now I want to make really clear here. I want to make it clear here. Jesus is not calling him foolish because he was successful. He's not calling him foolish because of the amount he has. He's, he's already rich. He's not condemned for that. 
He's called foolish because of his attitude toward what he has. His whole approach. He's not thinking very spiritual about his stuff. There's no regard for God. You notice that? What do you notice in the verse? You notice that he's worshiping another trinity. Instead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's me, myself, and I. He doesn't even think about the real source of his blessing. Much like someone who gets a job and they think they got it on their own. And it was God that opened the door. God put the people in place. God made the opportunity. You guys remember this old uh, movie called Shenandoah? If you've never seen this movie, please watch it once before you die. It's Jimmy Stewart, made in the 60s. And if you remember, he's at this dinner table. He has all these sons, and he has one daughter, and all these sons. And he's raising up his, raising up his family during the Civil War. His wife has died. So here he is by himself, and he's at the dinner table. They're all around the dinner table and says, let's pray. And in that Jimmy Stewart voice, he goes, Lord, we've cleared this ground. We plowed this ground. We planted this ground. We harvested this uh, harvest. And, well, nonetheless, we're going to thank you for it. What? He's very independent, self-starter, an American. You know, I can, an American. I can stand on my own. And you watch in this movie, he has two sons that are killed, one son that is lost, and you watch him be broken in this film from this independent attitude that thinks he's the guy that's made it all happen. Near the end of the movie, here he is, and two of his sons are dead. The boy is still missing, and they're all sitting around the table, missing. Uh, there's chairs that are empty where the kids used to be. And he goes, Lord, we cleared this land, and we, well... And he gets up and walks out, and visits his wife's grave. He goes, what have I done? I've really messed it up. Martha, what have I done? Two of the boys are dead and their, their, their graves are right beside her. You know them guys, they're with you now. And, and what about the boy? I don't, I don't know what to do. If I just had some way of knowing what to do. You know, he always does that in every movie. And, and all of a sudden the church bells start going, ding dong, ding dong. And he goes... You know, you never give up, do you? <laughs> and they go to church, and they're singing some... Now it's time for the sermon, and he's trying to preach, and the kid's screaming and hollering, and finally they, they start singing. They're going to sing a song. They're getting ready to sing a closing song, and from the view of the preacher, the back door is open, and there's the boy on a crutch. Everybody stops what they're doing. And Jimmy Stewart's like, he senses something, and the preacher says... We're going to change the song. And he starts, they start singing, Praise Him from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, O creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. And as they're singing that, the kid's working his way up. Jimmy Stewart's got a hold of him. And you can see this man who's now broken is now blessed and he knows where his real blessings come from. He, he sees the real source 
Do you see the real source of your blessings? When it comes to your possessions, when it comes to your finances, how much do you consider God? How much do you consider what God would want? What would please God? Does he even have a view of what I should do with this extra when he blesses me? That's the first thing. He's, he's, he doesn't regard, he's called foolish because he has no regard for God. Second reason he's, has, uh, he's called a fool is because he's selfish with God's blessings. God blesses him with more and he keeps it all to himself. And he goes, ah, I'll tell you what I'm going to say to myself. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take uh, life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. There's, there are 12 references to self in just three verses. So instead of sharing his treasure, his pleasure becomes his treasure, and he will not give it to anyone else. He's going to keep it to himself. What a sad life to live. You know, what's interesting about this is I notice, and I, everybody I read and everybody I was researching looking through this parable, they all agreed on one thing. Uh, one of the things they agreed on was that this man was lonely. He, hadn't, he didn't even know who, to, who, who's going to get, who was going to be passed on to because he's so selfish. Loneliness and selfishness go hand in hand, folks. You a selfish person, guess what? You're going to have a hard time having friendships. You're going to have a hard time having relationships. You're going to be one lonely person. Why are these people so distant from me? Are you sure they created the distance? Because selfish people are masters at distance. So he's, he's selfish and God says you're a fool with these blessings. You, you don't need to keep them to yourself. You need to be giving them away. Number three, because he forgets his own mortality. He forgets he's going to die. Look at verses 20 through 21. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then he asks this question. Then who's going to get your stuff that you've prepared for yourself? And then he says, this is how it will be for those who ever stores up things for themselves, but not as rich toward God. He says, you fool, this very night. You know, guys... Um, you know, this uh, past yesterday, we went to a funeral. Denise's cousin, she was 65. Her name was Joyce. Joe and Joyce, I uh, met them uh, at the Dodie Chowder. They would they started coming to the Chowder. And they've been sweethearts, oh my gosh, years. And so um, we get a call, uh, one of those late night calls, so you know something's up. What's going on? Joyce just passed away, Tim. Are you kidding me? No, it was a clot in her lung. And the paramedics tried to revive her, but it just wasn't going to work. It, it, it was over. I talked to Joe. I asked Joe, I said, what happened, Joe? Well, and she wasn't feeling well. Next thing you know, I'm calling paramedics, and I'm holding her hand. And she said, these are her last words, Tim. Her last words on this earth. She looks me in the eye and says, pray for me. She happened to be the person that led in their prayer ministry at their church. Pray for me. So he starts praying as he holds her hands. And paramedics go to work, and they know it's not nothing. They can't do anything. Paramedics begin to pray with Joe. And he said, Tim, it's amazing how life changes in less than an hour. You say, well, that old people are supposed to die. I'm beginning to resent that more and more. That statement. 
Am I right? Yeah. You old, you're supposed to go. Leave room for the rest of us. But death is not like that, is it? You know, it would be the same week. A six-month-old baby in our family, and over by Albion, would die. Six months old. Death has... It doesn't care how old you are. You know, you could be dead tonight. Well, I probably won't. Okay, but you could be. It's not a preacher ploy. It's a passage. It's the passage. We forget, our, we forget our own mortality. And that's what's tragic about this. He says, this is how it's going to be. It doesn't sound very positive. Jesus doesn't sound like, oh, this is how it's going to be. Like, oh, good. No, it's bad. It's bad. Here's a guy who's worked so hard to get and get. And he's been, pre, he's been working overtime. He's been, he's been a faithful employee. He's worked really hard. God has blessed him. And he's thinking of the future. But he's not thinking very far in advance. He's only preparing for his retirement and not what follows. Huh? How about you? Some of you do need to plan for your retirement. Yeah, it makes sense. Nothing wrong with that. But are you planning beyond that? This man failed to do that, and that was his biggest blunder. He's thinking of what he needs to do on earth and not thinking about what he needs to do in eternity. He's not rich toward God. I th- this is, you know this is true. I've said it before. We can't take it with, with us. You can't take it with you. I can't take it with, with me. But you know what we can do? We can send some ahead. That's what he's saying here. He's, he, Jesus is making a clear fact here that you by faith can know. I can either invest in the earth or I can invest some on earth and invest in heaven too. Nothing wrong with investing. Nothing wrong with saving. The Bible applauds that. But Jesus says it's so sad if you're just short of it, if you're just going to invest for now or for this earth. So let me ask you, are your financial plans, are they about preparing yourself for retirement or is it going beyond that? This guy forgets his own mortality. Joe said to me, Tim... Make sure you hug your wife. He says this to me. Give her a little bigger, tighter hug than you normally. I go, I don't know. Why? Well, I got this stone eagle. I've painted it. And we're arguing where it should go. She wants it to go in the backyard. I want it to go in the front yard. And he says to me, would you rather hug your eagle or hug your wife? Because I'll tell you what I'd like to hug. And I went, here comes the shame. <laughs> and I'm like, I get it. I get it. How do I become rich toward God? How do I become rich toward God? What's it mean? What's that phrase mean? Let me give you... I think some things you can do that we get from the passage because I want to encourage you to read the rest of Luke and maybe discuss it if you would in your small group or your discipleship group or over coffee with somebody. There's a lot of good stuff in the verses that follow this parable. Like what, Tim? Well, I become rich toward God when I remember I am more than what I own. Jesus makes it real clear. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist 
and an abundance of possessions. What's he saying? Life is not about what a man has, but what a man is. Life is not about what a man has, or a man or woman has. It's about who he is. You know, we get this, we compare. They got a lot of stuff. They got more stuff. They must be important because they have a nicer car. They have a nicer home. Jesus says all that don't matter. There's lots of people who have lots of stuff that are miserable. Lots of people have lots of things that aren't happy. Lots of people have lots of things that aren't helping anyone. And though money can buy just about anything, and it can buy a lot of stuff, I can prove that. I got a lot of stuff. It cannot buy peace of mind. It cannot buy a sense of purpose. It cannot, it cannot buy character. It cannot buy contentment. And by the way, if you want to hear a really, 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 really good lesson on contentment, we have it on our website. Debbie Wider preached this lesson in the ladies' retreat. And guys, get over it. Let a woman teach you a little bit here about contentment. Very good. How many of you ladies still have your card from that class? Some of you guys are going, what's that all about? Listen, and you'll find out what that's about. We contentment is about being content with what God deals you. I need to remember I am more than what I own. Look what Jesus goes on to say here in Luke twelve. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. He's not saying they're unimportant, he's saying there's something more important than food and clothes. And then he says in in Luke 12 here, And do not set your heart. After this parable, don't set your heart. What's that about? Is that about focus? Don't be so caught up in focus and set your heart on what you eat or drink. Well, shouldn't I be concerned about what I eat and drink? Some of us need to be more concerned about what we eat and drink than others, I know. Some some of you, you know, are are on a nutritional plan. And I... I just say, good for you. I'm on a nutritional plan, different path. Okay? <laughs> but, and I understand, the body's going to tell us we're hungry, and, we, and some of you are going, what are we going to eat afterwards? What are we going to do afterwards? And, and, and I understand, it's not, the Bible's not talking about sitting, you know, thinking about food. It's talking about focusing so much on pleasure and, and yourself. There's little room for anything that, of God. He says, do not worry. Look at that. Don't set your heart and don't worry. What do you worry about all the time? I've had people making gobs of money. I've had conversations with people making gobs of money worried. I'm like, what are you worried about? You're making more money than me. What is, why are you worried? God is blessing you. My mother had to remind me one time how blessed I was. All worried and caught up. And she just put it right in my face. What are you worried about? God's took care of you. Knock it off. Grow up. Yes, Mommy. For the pagan world runs after all such things. See, you've got the virus, I've got the virus, and God's saying, i got the cure for the virus. 
find antidotes for your materialism. Find other things that take the place of greed, the different shades of greed in your life. The pagan is run after that. You're not a pagan anymore. And your father knows that you need them. He'll take care of you. He says, here's what you do. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And he says, seek God's kingdom. Seek his will, his way, his rule. Seek his power. Seek his ways. Seek his path. And these things will be given to you as well. So I need to first remember, if I'm going to be rich toward God, it's more than what I own. Number two, when I recognize God's ownership and my stewardship, I become rich toward God. I begin to change my habits and my focus, and I start storing things in heaven when I begin to recognize God's the owner, and I'm just the manager. Look what he says again in Luke 12. He said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then he asks this question, who's going to get all that stuff you've prepared for yourself? And the answer, the rich man's like, well, if he could answer it, it's somebody else. And if he couldn't answer it, it's somebody else, not his own. I, I told the first service, um, there's just some things that men are given by the Holy Spirit, not given to other men. And I happen to have this particular gift. I can tell you exactly, whoever you are in this room, what you're going to leave behind when you die. To the penny. To the penny. Well, how, really, Tim, how much? You're going to leave all of it. You're leaving all of it behind. Why do I have to leave all of it behind? Because it wasn't yours to begin with. We really should take a hint from life. It really helps us sometimes to see this. Well, I can't take it with me? No. Why not? Remember, I told this story last year. Was it, how's it, is this, this couple and the husband, is, he's got lots of money, lots of wealth. He says, hey, honey, listen, when I die... You know, time is close. Put all the money in a, in a leather bag and put it in the attic. And when I go up to heaven, I'll grab it on my way. Well, he passes away. She gives it a few minutes, walks upstairs, opens the attic door, and there's the bag. And she goes, oh, I knew I should have put it in the basement. <laughs> I want to apologize, Lord, for that awful joke. <laughs> Well, we needed a break, didn't we? I could tell you guys were like, oh, oh, Tim, you're giving us too much to think about here. Well, you can't take it with you. I can't take it. Why? Because it doesn't belong to you or me to begin with. I know we look at titles and we look at, you know, deeds and we look at, you know, names on our ball glove. I've got my name on it, so none of you will take it. And, um, and, but you know what's going to happen when I die? It's not. Where's Tim? He's gone. Well, I guess it's ours. I guess he left it behind. Why did he leave it behind? It wasn't his to begin with. It's, it goes back to the original owner. Who's the owner? God himself, your creator. Look at the Bible says. Job records this. God says this to Job. Here's a guy that has a lot. God's blessed him with more. And he says to Job near the end of the book, everything under heaven is mine. He wants to make it real clear to Job. Hey, it all belongs to me. You only manage it. A lot of times, guys, I will do this. My wife might think, I don't know if she thinks I'm crazy. She doesn't see me do it because I do it because I think people might think I'm crazy. 
but I'll go around the house and I'll walk up to the my flat screen and I'll put my hands on it and I go, Lord, this belongs to you. What do you want me to do with it? And I'll walk over to the sofa. Lord, I know this belongs to you. And I sometimes wonder if you need help holding it down. That's why I like to lay down on it. I want it to float away. <laughs> but this is yours. And I, have to t- I tell myself out loud, this is not yours, Tim. This belongs to me. God talking to me. I know it sounds silly, but sometimes it's good for me. I walk over to the tractor, my tractor. I love my tractor. It's my second tractor. This is not yours, Tim. It's not? No, it's mine. Okay. What do you want me to do with it? Will you let me do whatever I want? This is your tractor. Okay, I need to remember that. Okay. Now go over this stone eagle. This isn't mine either, is it? I think I figured this. No, it's not yours, Tim. It's mine. What do you want me to do with it? Well, your wife gave you a couple of suggestions you might want to think about. (laughs) Really? It's not yours. Don't get too attached to it. Because after you're gone, it stays. You, You have an apartment. It's fully furnished. And then you go to another apartment. Does the furniture go with you? No, it stays. It's not yours. If you take it, guess what it's called? Stealing. <laughs> you can't do that. Doesn't it work? Somewhere in the Bible talk about, can a man rob God? And the answer is, yes, he can. Yes, he can. By not remembering God's the owner. If it belongs to God, how does he want it to be used? That's what I believe Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you know, who's going to get this? This wasn't yours to begin with. Number three, I'm rich toward God when I share God's blessings with others. When I'm willing to share with others, that's when I become rich toward God. I believe this is how you invest in the future, invest in eternity. Look at this, Luke 12. He says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. That's not true. That statement is not true. Jesus challenges this statement. Well, I got so much, I, I got to build bigger barns. You don't have to build bigger barns. Why don't you take that extra and put it in your neighbor's barn? Or the stomach of this person that's poor over here. Why don't you help somebody in the congregation, in the church, instead of keeping it all to yourself? I want you to know, I'm in the middle of this. I'm in the middle of this study, this thought I have of... It says, one of the passages... You know, there's, By the way, you probably got passages in the Bible. You go, I don't like that passage, and I wish it wasn't there. Preachers do, too. And one of mine is, and there were no needy persons among them. Because preachers are in the church building business too often. And God is in the people, kingdom-building business. I was talking to some friends of mine, some family members that are in megachurches, and they're sick of it. I'm like, what are you sick of? It's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, listening to this, just because you've got a big place doesn't mean you're doing big things. 
And she goes, you know, we got these budgets. We're, we got banners up that we're spending money. We could do something else for somebody else for. And I go, do you have any needy people in your church? Because probably. And I'll tell you what, guys, I long for the day when we take up a special contribution to help the poor in our church. To help those that need some help in our church first. And it's not about building something else, you know, expanding something else. I've been a part of several building projects. I don't have a problem with this building, okay? I like this building. Man, I'd love to see the kingdom have no needy people among them. Wouldn't that be a hoot? And that comes from sharing the blessings we have with others. See, the rich man had plenty of places to put his blessings. Look what Jesus said in Luke 12. In view of this parable, here's something you can do, he says. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. I don't even know what to say with that verse. It doesn't need a comment. Well, you think we should sell our possessions and give to the poor? He's telling his disciples, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Did he say sell all your possessions and give to the poor? It doesn't make any sense for you to sell everything you got. Now you're poor. Now we've got to figure out a way to take care of you. But can you part with something to help somebody? My uh, relative, Joyce, was a pack rat. Or we would say hoarders. She had everything. They made comment about it in the funeral. You know, she just liked to hold on to things. And I thought, she's not the only person I know. I do too. And can we let go of possessions to help somebody in need? Jesus says, this is how you store it up. Look at this, First Timothy 6. After that warning we read earlier, Paul says this to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There it is. I I give you, I provide richly so you can enjoy yourself, of course. Command them to do good. Do good. It says to be rich in good deeds. All of a sudden it's changing now. You want to be, you want a a portfolio that's, you want some kind of a, a, a fund that's growing in your life? Let it be the fund of good deeds. Let it include that. It says, and to be generous and willing to share. Can you let go of stuff? Can you let go of not just money, but things? I've loaned stuff out, and I'm thinking, am I going to get it back? And I've realized, you know, some things I'm just not going to get back. Denise never talking about we loaned something to somebody, and she just goes, you know what, Tim? I bet we'll never see it. Well, that's one less thing to worry about then, I guess. Let's not worry about it. Let them have it. Now we want to help others. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes. Here's a guy who was after the meaning of life. And here's what Solomon said. Don't hoard your goods. Spread them around. Be a blessing to others. I know it's the message paraphrase, but you read it in any translation you want and see if it doesn't give you that idea. That we're blessed more so we can bless others. 
And the Bible just tells us, you know, if we want, if we want to be rich toward God, He came, Jesus came, God Himself came, it says, He became poor so that we might become rich. There's your pattern. He went with less so someone else could have more that needed it. That needed it. Number four, I become rich toward God when I invest in the eternal. Like I said before, you may not be able to take it with you, but you sure can send it ahead. Here's this, what an what a interesting verse, verse 33. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief can come near and no moth destroys. What is he talking about? Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. These are purses that are eternal. They're not temporal. They're not earthly. He says there's something else you're to put your riches in. And it's eternal. A treasure in heaven. There you go. It's, now it's obvious. That will never fail. Nobody can steal it. Nobody's going to take it. And it cannot be destroyed. What's he saying? What's he trying to say? Now here's what I got out of this, this little verse here. As I thought about this and studied this over... I realize there's no point in investing in the world. You say, well, you mean I shouldn't invest money? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about putting my focus in investment and thinking that the world is going to satisfy me. It's going to come up short. In other words, it's all going to be gone someday. So I need to be strategic and smart. So I use, so you use, so we should use our success and blessings to invest in what God values, in what God desires to build up His kingdom. This isn't about putting money in the plate. It's just being this kind of person that thinks strategically, here's my chance to advance the kingdom with the blessing God has given me. Look at this passage here in Luke 16, verse 9. I tell you, use the riches of this world to help others. Is that as straight up as I can? I, I think I can't be any clearer. Use the riches of this world to help others. In that way, you'll make friends for yourselves. Then when your riches are gone, when will your riches be gone? When you croak. That's when your riches are going to be gone. When, when, you're, when they're gone, you will be welcomed into your eternal home in heaven. I said this in the first service. I think sometimes we think God's going to has to be MacGyver or something, or for some of us here, MacGruber. You know what I'm saying? We've we got to have this. You know what I'm talking about MacGyver? Remember MacGyver and MacGruber? They, MacGruber makes fun of MacGyver. He, MacGyver could take anything and make anything out of it. A little duct tape, a, little, a couple of... Uh, Paper clips, and he's got an AK-47. MacGruber, you're amazing. I know. You know, uh, we're in a fix. we got to get out of here. You know, it's, uh, oh, wait a minute. What do you got? i got an ink pen. i got a piece of paper. And he fashions a sports car and gets everybody out. And I think, wow, that's amazing, MacGyver. You're something, you know. And he is. He's amazing. And God is amazing too. But how dare us expect Him to make something amazing out of so little we send Him? What are we thinking? Well, God, you're a miracle worker. We'll get to heaven. Where's my mansion? Well, you only sent up a couple of things and we did the best we could. That's all you got. 
No, God is not going to be a MacGyver for you and I if, if we're going to be uh, selfish. We have to invest in the eternal. There was an old Texas preacher years ago. He was uh, visiting a friend on a Texas ranch. And this friend of his said, come on out with me after they got through having dinner and they're walking out on the porch of this beautiful house. And he, he looks and he points, he points uh, to the north. See all those oil fields out there? And he goes, yes, I see them. He goes, I own all those. He goes, wow, that's impressive. And then he turned around, he pointed south, see all those fields, all that grain out there? Well, yeah, I own those too. I own all that, as far as the eye can see. The preacher's pretty impressed. He points to the east, see all that cattle? Oh man, there's hundreds of thousands of cattle. They're all mine. Well, that's, that's just amazing. And then he points west. And he says, look at that beautiful forest out there. All that, that's the trees, the standing of trees. All of that, I own all of that. That's mine. And the old preacher looked at him for a minute and said, Okay, well, how much do you own in this direction? And he goes, I never thought about that. That's what this parable is about. How much do you own in this direction? We all get worried, and I do too, all concerned about everything in this direction. And God's saying, if you just concentrate on this direction, this direction won't bother you so much. Let me close with this poem I found, and then we'll pray, and you can decide what you want to do with this, this, this sermon today. He goes like this, One by one he took them from me, all the things I valued most. Until I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highways grieving in my rags and poverty, till I heard his voice inviting me, Lift those empty hands to me. So I held my hands toward heaven, and he filled them with a store of his own transcendent riches till they could contain no more. And at last I comprehended with my stupid little mind so dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. And I want to ask you this morning to be challenged by this lesson by this parable, to hold on to your things loosely. They belong to God. And if you can empty yourself of some of them, it leaves room for God's blessings. You will defeat materialism in your culture that is in all of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a very interesting parable. Lord, we want to learn what you have to say in these parables. They're so challenging. You know, there's times I don't know if anybody's breathing. It's kind of scary. But Lord, um, we really desperately want to please you. We want to know what you, what you mean with these words you say. We love you, but we also want to love your words. And Lord, uh, today we're looking at this rich fool. He's not foolish because he's rich. We figured that out. He's not foolish because he's smart or he's, he plans ahead or uh, he's a hard worker or responsible. He's foolish, Lord, because he, he's greedy. He's foolish because he's thinking of all of his stuff and he's not thinking very spiritual. Father, I pray this morning you'd help us think a little more spiritual than we have, than we did when we came in, that we'll view all the things we have, all the things we own is yours. That we could put our hands on them and, and say to ourselves, if it's just a whisper, Lord, these are yours. This is yours. 
and that we could dedicate these things to you. Lord, help us use our things. Help us use the things you bless us with to help others. Let us use those things, Father, to enjoy and advance the kingdom. And hopefully, Lord, we'll pass the test and be found mature. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.